On this edition of the Scott Radley podcast, we are talking about the election, about all kinds of facets and twists and elements of the election. We're also going to be talking about the outdoor hockey and the Leafs and Sabres that was formally announced now for Tim Hortons Field this coming March. And television. Television is changing. We're going to explain how that is and why that is. Stick around. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. It is T-minus Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. T-minus like four days, four and a half days until election time. And boy, you know, the um, elections, even if we don't want them, which I think a lot of people say they didn't want this one, they're never boring. There's always stuff that happens. And I want to bring in Stephen Ledrew, former president of the Liberal Party of Canada, now a political commentator, host of the Three Minute Debate. You can find it on YouTube. Stephen, how are you this evening? I am very, very well. I'm actually, I didn't know that. If I just mentioned Radley, I'd get 25% off on stuff. See, try it anywhere. Anywhere you can try it. And and now you won't get it anywhere, but you can try it anywhere. I'm just thrilled. Stephen, we got a lot of stuff that I want to ask about uh, in the next few minutes, what's going on in the election. And I want to start with this one because we watched the English language debate. I think most people did. If you didn't watch it, you've seen the highlights of it. And one of the moments that led to maybe the biggest explosion was the question about Bill 21 in Quebec and discriminatory laws. And Yves-Francois Blanchet lost his mind a little bit and Quebec apparently has lost its mind. Well, now, according to the Globe and Mail, both Singh, O'Toole and Trudeau have all demanded an apology to Quebec for this. Uh, Is that... Is that really the right move? Because even though Quebec, and I know Quebec has a lot of votes and they want to win Quebec, even though Quebec may be really upset, there's a lot of other people around the country going, it is discriminatory. Why are we apologizing? And it's, uh, it just shows how low people will go to get votes. I just think it's ridiculous that um, all three of them in unison are saying there should be an apology. But you know what? It's the era we live in. Uh, Trudeau has apologized over his six years as Prime Minister, Scott, as you and your listeners know very well. For many, 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 many things um, done in, in history, uh, nothing that his dad has done or that uh, he has done, but he'll apologize for anything. And so everybody wants to seek an apology. Instead of having an intelligent debate as to uh, that bill, 21, and as to the uh, impact of it, um, maybe Kim Campbell was right uh, some what was it, uh, some 30 years ago now, maybe elections are too, uh, are not good times to talk about serious issues. Mm. But, you know, okay, so even if we were to go down the path that you've gone down there that says, you know, Trudeau has apologized for a lot in his six years, and so maybe, you know, maybe fine, we could have thought that he might, but O'Toole, and now I know that O'Toole just got sort of quasi-endorsed by the Premier there, so you don't want to screw everything up right away, Singh is a visible minority. He is, he is, if anybody in federal politics should be saying, no, this was not a bad question. This was a fair question to ask. The answer, Blanchette was free to give whatever answer he wanted, but the question was not unfair. I'm, I'm shocked that Singh is taking this position. Well, I think you point out a very good point there, Scott, in, in that it just shows how debased our politics is. When a man who admittedly has said for, you know, for years, I know him, you know him, uh, he said he has been the subject of discrimination in Canada. I'm sure that's the case. Uh, there's always idiots out there who are racist. And uh, here he is supporting 
a discriminatory law. Now, how ridiculous is that? Someone's going to look back in a few years, writing history, and say, scratching their heads and say, how stupid were people? But um, they obviously think we were very, very stupid because they called the election in the first place. We haven't had a hard and fast answer yet from the current government about whether they might challenge this law in the Supreme Court. And we haven't had a hard and fast answer from anybody. But does the does this situation where now they are all seemingly taking the position that this question was unfair and whatever, does this preclude whoever wins? Does this preclude them from doing anything in the Supreme Court and challenging this? Has this taken that completely off the table? No, I don't think it has, Scott. I think it has um, taken it off the table until after all the ballots are counted, we find out who's the Prime Minister of Canada. And then it could come up again, unless, as all the pollsters say, and I think they are right, it's just so close, we don't know whether, in fact, we are going to have a solid government or not. If we have a timid, weak minority government, then it will be off the table for quite some time. And people in Quebec who are, of, uh, who are quote, minorities, um will not get any relief for a long, long time. Yeah. See, this one, look, sometimes, uh, and we can debate all day. There are people listening right now, I guarantee you, who say it's not discriminatory. And okay, that's fine. We can have that debate. I mean, a lot of people think it is. Uh, It sure sounds it to me. But, you know, again, I mean, everyone has their own opinion on this one. But I just, you know, you've talked about it, sort of where politics is. Where is the unwavering, stiff-backed politician, man or woman, doesn't it be a guy? Where's anybody who is saying, no, this is just not what Canada is about? And look, if this was happening in Alberta with people who were doing something to say that some minority group couldn't have something, I'm reasonably positive nobody would be being as squishy about this. I think think what you're pointing to, Scott, is that what most people, you know, when they, when they examine the election and all the promises and the campaigning and everybody trying to buy everybody else with their own grandchildren's money, we are in a very low time in politics. Um, you know, there's no one standing up. There's no nation builder. There's no one standing up on principle, as you just advocated. It would be nice if someone stood up and said, you know, this is discriminatory. And I'm willing to put my, my career, my my word on the line for it, or it's not, and let's argue about it. Um, but uh, it's a it's a very it's a time when we don't have leadership. It's a time when um, it's very difficult to get a position out of uh, politicians, and a lot of that is just because we have had just. I mean, Canada hasn't beaten up. We've been beaten up by a bad government for six months, six years. Sorry, we've been beaten up by COVID. We've been beaten up now. We're hearing by inflation. And high prices, uh, people are just people are just sick, and uh, they just want to get on with their lives. Get this election passed them. Hopefully, well, in my view, I think, well, as you have heard, I think we've had terrible government for the last six six years. And I'm not uh, saying that if the conservatives want to be any better, but I think we should at least give them a try because they haven't been in power and they haven't screwed it up for six years. Let me ask you this. One of the possibilities certainly is that Aaron O'Toole wins a minority government. That could happen. Could Aaron O'Toole, though, win a minority government and not get to govern? Yes. Well, first of all, 
I agree with everything you just said, but I'll go further. I think that Aaron O'Toole could win a majority government. I think that the Liberals could win a big minority. I, I doubt the majority. I think there's a lot of people out there who are being polite when they get a call from the pollsters. I think the pollsters are pretty accurate. But you know, anything could happen. Uh, we, we saw that in, uh, you know, in New Brunswick. Uh, we've seen that in other elections where just, boom, overnight people just say they make their minds up. Okay, I'm fed up with this, and I'm going to give the other guy a chance or whatever. And um, I, first of all, I think it's going to take days before we know because of the huge write-in ballot which doesn't get started to be counted until late on Monday night. Uh, there are enough writings which are razor-thin that that ballot, all those uh, votes could make a big difference. I think it will be days before we know who got the most number of seats. But tr- directly to your question, Scott, O'Toole could get more seats than Trudeau, and therefore most people say, well, you know what, he's a winner. But no, constitutionally, and this is a bit boring, but it's the truth, Parliament decides who is the Prime Minister. And the Prime Minister is Trudeau until he is clearly out. And if he had a good number of seats, fewer than O'Toole, he would have the constitutional authority to go to the almost almost marginal people. Here go to the NDP, here go to the block and say, Okay, how much do you want? He wouldn't say it in those terms, but what would it take? for you to support my government. Would you like to have more money for your ridings in Quebec? Would you like more money for uh, your supporters somewhere else, NDP? Would you like this or that? Because I am here with a great credit rating still in Canada, and I'll get that for you in exchange for your votes. So Trudeau could still be prime minister for many, many months, if not years, based on the deal he could make. And we see that around the world. Israel um, in, after the last election, didn't have a winner for months and months and months and months and months. While well, everybody sat in rooms and tried to be able to buy their votes, it's terrible. <laughs> well, would it? What would be the moral authority? And, and I mean, moral. I don't mean in, in a morality sense. Yeah, People know what I mean. But yeah. if you were, if you were Justin Trudeau, and you finished, Wait a second, because Scott, and the reason Scott, I ask it this way, go ahead. Justin Trudeau in the same breath. Come on now. But the, the reason I ask about Trudeau is because O'Toole's going to have a much harder time finding a like-minded, philosophically appealing dance partner in Commons than Trudeau would with the NDP. They seem like they would be the logical two that could line up and, and the, the Liberals could offer some of the NDP platforms or programs that they yep. want. And it, it seems much more likely if if it was a O'Toole minority that this situation comes into play. But if that were to happen, would Canadians say, okay, fine. Because that's kind of like a first-past-the-post scenario then, or would they say, no, that's wrong, that's not how we do things here? I don't think that there'd be any um, majority opinion on that. We are getting closer to a presidential system where Canadians say, the leader of the party who gets the most votes or the most seats should be the prime minister. But in the last election, Andrew Scheer got more votes than Trudeau. He didn't get more seats, but he got more votes. And no one is saying he should be prime minister. So it comes down to the most seats. And people like, you know, Canadians look at it and say, okay, well, if, if you know, O'Toole has more seats than Trudeau, I think most people would say, well, you know, he should deserve a shot at it. It seems to make more sense. It seems to be, have a, a basis in, 
in a common understanding. But it's very, very... Um, it's I don't even know how he proud. would... I mean, we had Mackenzie King, ancient history, almost a century ago, had far fewer seats than Arthur Meehan, and he stayed prime minister for months and months and months. I just don't know how, even if Aaron O'Toole wins a minority, and even if they declare him prime minister, I don't know how he governs, because I don't see much on the Tory slate being voted for by the NDP and the Liberals. I just don't see much going through. So he may be there in name and in spirit. I just, I don't see how much is going to get done. But he wouldn't be prime minister though, Scott. We have to know that. If he got more seats than Trudeau, the governor general is under no obligation to call him to make a government. Trudeau would go to the Governor-General and say, I've got fewer seats than, uh, than the Conservatives, but I've got all these other seats in my back pocket that I just bought from the NDP and from the Bloc. And um, I've got more seats. And the Governor-General would be constitutionally bound to ask him to form a government. The only way that O'Toole could be Prime Minister would be if Trudeau was defeated in the House after that mm. on a vote of confidence. We only have a few seconds left, yeah. Stephen, so I want to ask you one more thing before we go, and I wish we had a lot more time. If the Tories don't win this, if the Conservatives, if it's a liberal minority, liberal majority, whatever happens, but if O'Toole doesn't win, are the knives going to be out for him like they were for Sheer, or are the knives going to be out for Bernier for stealing away a bunch of the votes that would have pushed him over the top? Definitely for Bernier, because there will be a number of seats that O'Toole could have won, but for Bernier, I think. Um, but I think the Tories have to stop the, the knife game. O'Toole has run a very, very good campaign. They've done better than most Tories thought they'd ever do. Uh, he'd be very foolish to try to get rid of Trudeau. Sorry, sorry of, of uh, O'Toole. Trudeau, on the other hand, uh, it's his party. It's not the Liberal Party that I was president of years ago. It is all Justin's party, and uh, the party will do whatever he, um, whatever he wants. So it's, it's going to be a messy, messy time for Canadians. We are in a country that is terrifically and disastrously, I think, polarized because of the politics. And I blame Trudeau for a lot of that. He is a polarizing prime minister, and uh, we need to heal as a country. And I hope that after all the, the votes are counted, days after Monday night, that we can come up with a, with a government that is going to be reasonable, that's going to have the uh, support of, of a number of Canadians, and we can move forward because what we've been doing the last few years is moving backwards, and I just I hate to see Canadians at each other's throats. I know you do too, but it's just uh, it's not a way to build a country or a society, Scott. Stephen Ledrew, always appreciate the time. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the election. I'm sure you'll be. Wa- I know you're going to be watching. I mean, if Stephen Ledrew was not watching an election, it must have only meant he'd been concussed and was wandering aimlessly. So, really appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this. Always a pleasure. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. That good old hockey game this March coming up is going to be in Hamilton at Tim Hortons Field between the Leafs and the Sabres. You had heard rumblings about this, I know, but the outdoor game was made official today by the NHL. Uh, Someone posted on social media about this, and I grant you, I mean, it's on ice. It's It's a cold game, so this is a cold comment, but... Interesting facts on this matchup between the Leafs and the Sabres. 100% of the teams involved have not won a Stanley Cup in 50 years. 100% of the teams involved have not won a playoff series since 2007. 100% of the teams involved tank to draft a generational talent and still can't win. 50% of the teams involved have lost to a Zamboni driver. (laughs) 
I had to steal that line. Steve Milton is with us from the Hamilton Spectator, covered a few hockey games in his day. Steve, even with all those hilarious little jabs at these two teams, I can't imagine that there's not an awful lot of people around here who are pretty darn excited about this. Oh, for sure. And and uh, I'm going to give that, going back to that uh, social media comment, I'm going to give it my ultimate, and uh, it would be your ultimate uh, praise too from a, from a writer. I wish I'd written that. Yeah, it's pretty funny. It's pretty It's pretty witty. Um, you know, the thing about this game is it's it's funny because we're going to get to the excitement because, look, I do think that people are going to be excited about this, and I yeah. think there's going to be a huge demand. The one great irony of this game to me, at least of the matchup, is that at least in our minds, at least we believe there are two teams in the NHL that have gotten in the way of Hamilton getting an NHL team, the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Buffalo Sabres. And here we are saying, Hey guys, come on into our backyard and remind us of why we don't have a team here. Well, I think technically that's true. And we know for a fact that it was true up until, uh, up until they changed the uh, the regulations Uh, in the early nineties, there was evidence of that during the uh, ball silly, uh, bankruptcy uh, case in, in Phoenix uh, and the Canadian Competition Committee had said, no, we've checked it out and it better not be that way anymore. And it, and it, and it isn't, but it definitely was the case technically. Uh, and even during the 90s, Scott, uh, when they were applying to get a team here, uh, they didn't, uh, I, other people in the United States did that blocking work for them because if you were in a, a budding market, you didn't want a Hamilton coming into your town. And Don Cherry actually, to his credit, recognized that. Um, that that uh, you know, say people in LA didn't know what a Hamilton was or or, or, or anything like that, and and uh, but you're right, uh, and I think that is the irony of all of this. Uh, there are, I think, probably a lot of ironies that that's, that that social media comment mm. certainly points out. Uh, it's a heritage classic, and yet <clears throat> this is the first time it'll involve an American team, I believe, in, the, in in any of the heritage classics before that. Not that any of us can recognize the difference between uh, the winter classic, the heritage classic and whatever the third one's called. I don't know. Can you, I I, I mean, it's, I have no idea. I have no idea. The one thing I will say though, with, with a fair degree of certainty is when the tickets go on sale and I haven't seen yet what day they go on sale. I don't know if that's been announced yet. I will say 20 minutes, maybe at most, and they will be sold out. There will be no problem getting people to buy these tickets. Absolutely. No doubt. Oh, absolutely. Now there's a number of things that'll come into play here. Uh, one will be cross-border travel. Remember, this is a Buffalo home game. So when we first, when you and I first talked about this, uh, I think it was really uh, that first came out back at the end of June or the end of July. Uh, you know, and then I, I checked around people in the NHL and what they said was the NHL. And also, naturally, first rights of first tickets uh, would go to Buffalo Sabres uh, season ticket holders. Well, I mean, how many of those are there? <laughs> they <laughs> all live in Ontario. Should be well. Uh, yeah, there is actually more than they should be because a lot of the ways that people finance their tickets is they uh, they, they buy season's tickets and then they sell tickets to the Canadians, Rangers, Leafs, and uh, who else? Mm. Uh, uh, and that's how they 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 finance the season's tickets. So there's probably more than a team that's missed the playoffs for is it what 40 years now uh, deserves <laughs> uh, to get. Um, so will they be able to, will those first, uh, let's say that's 10,000 people. Would those, uh, 10,000 people be able to get across the border? As you say, a big chunk of them, uh, probably, uh, you know, close to a third of that would be from here. Um, but yes, they'll sell out because obviously I think they can probably fit in somewhere, depending on whether they keep up the stands if the, from the great cup, if there is a great cup, uh, uh, the temporary stands, which they will do, um, uh, you know, for the extra, Two months, uh, they'll they'll keep those stands, and so what would the capacity be around thirty? 
So mm-hmm. uh, let's suppose that, you know, like there's going to be 20,000 seats available. Yeah, they'll, people will grab them. And they'll go to people who don't normally. Well, then the Leafs will probably get second choice on that too, right? So there'll be two windows. Uh, one window for the Sabres. I'm only guessing at this, but this is the way it generally works with these kind of events. It'd be uh, one for the Sabres people, then the next window would be, uh, okay, it'll be cool. then it would be open for the general public. When you get to that point, which is what I think you're referring to, uh, then will it take 20 minutes? I don't know if it will. It you might mean take less. less than that. So, yeah. yeah. And yeah. the one question, and the one question, and look, I've raised this before, and I, and I kind of, I halfway expect this because this happens, you know, um, is they'll put the things out and everyone will be excited. They'll put the tickets out until people see what the ticket prices are because these won't be cheap. They, I mean, they know they can. No. And people will go, they're gouging us. And, well, okay, then don't go. Don't buy a ticket. But I mean, they, I don't think these are going to be cheap tickets. No, and, and, and I know that uh, in your career, and, 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 and rightly so, you've spent a lot of time talking about price points on events particularly. And, and I think it's a very valid uh, thing to, to talk about. But uh, price points particularly when you're dealing with a group. Buffalo might make a mistake. If it were the Leafs, they would not because they know the market a little better. But they'll be getting advice from the Leafs. Believe you, believe you me, they'll be, they'll be getting advice from the Leafs. And, okay, give us the idea about price point because we don't want to get this wrong. Uh, and and uh, we don't want Radley to be right. So let's get, <laughs> it happens know. so seldom. You don't want yeah, to be one like, of yeah, those times. So So let's let's – Let's get so they'll advise them on the price point. It'll be delicately set because you've got to take driving distance into account, all of those kinds of things. What it's also the first uh, week of the school break, right? So that's actually probably a pretty good thing um, uh, for people to, you know, maybe give you know uh, people a chance. Not that it matters because it's an afternoon game. It's not like it's a night game, anyways. But but the traveling would be facilitated. In other words, uh, people from far away is London, probably uh, Peterborough. Uh, and Barry could could come. So you're talking an awful lot of people who could never get a chance to see the Maple Leafs. Uh, yeah, and so fortunately, would, Steve, would by chance. that time, by that time, you will have had the Grey Cup. And I don't think you want the Grey Cup to be a practice run for too much. But the Grey Cup will be a practice run to deal with that number of people and people coming from Absolutely. out of town and cars and parking and all that stuff yep. to figure it out. Yeah, that's it. And and uh, I mean, one of the big things, I mean, uh, is the Go Train, right? It'd be a, it's a different operation now than it's ever been before, uh, particularly now, you know, they're, they'll have a facility to, to up the, uh, because they're already going to be doing it for, uh, for during, during the week. But on the weekend, they'll be able to, and they'll encourage that and have longer trains and all of those kinds of things. And that's, you know, it's a, and they'll, I'm sure they'll do something there where they have, you know, special buses that you can take from the Go Train uh, to, to, just to limit the, the, the parking because we don't get 30,000 people at the stadium anymore. Right. I mean, the limit's 24, basically, for mm-hmm. football. That's mm-hmm. the biggest crowd you can get. I mean, I guess for concerts we do, but we haven't had that many concerts at that stadium. Um, it's going to be. And a lot of the people who would come to that would walk or bicycle. So this is the, this is a, this is a big crowd for people from out of the area who can't bicycle to the park. You've got to get there somehow. That's right. You've got to get there and, and, uh, and they'll find it very interesting about the parking. those front lawn people those people who sell spots in their front lawn are going to be able to retire after this in the gray cup well what if you have snowbanks i mean i don't think you will i mean generally we don't on march 13th but but uh what if you have snowbanks you know like i mean there goes about there goes about there's about a thousand parking spots right there if you can't get over the bank no steve if you have a snowbank schools schools in the area sorry if you have a snowbank you sneak out in the middle of the night and shovel it all onto your neighbor's driveway and front lawn so yours is Uh, clear that's sure um, it'd be worth it i mean there's nothing i mean i love of course i don't come out of the stadium until about three hours after so i kind of like the chaos around the stadium on game day 
Mm. You know, it's no, kind oh, of neighborhood sure. chaos, buzz. right? I mean, the it's buzz. great. And it's, it's fantastic. You know, we so, got we uh, got to run, but we got to run. But one thing I would love to see, and I don't know how you do it, but Rick Jenneret and anyone who's ever listened to radio or listened to hockey, Rick yeah. Jenneret is the legendary, one of the greats for who covers the Sabres, Absolutely. does the Sabres games. It's his last year. And he's only yeah. saying he's doing 20 games. I really hope. I think he lives on the Ontario side of the border. Oh, he does. I, yeah. he, Rick's, Rick's a long-time friend. His, his son teaches at, uh, I think, at Niagara. Teaches radio okay. broadcast right there. So I hope yeah, they I, figure sure a way to not just have Rick do the game, but to somehow incorporate that into something. Because that he is, you know, a lot of people will not have heard him a lot before around here because they listen to the Leafs. That would That's be right. a great thing for something it for really Rick really would. And I think there's a lot of things they can do that way. There's a mm-hmm. lot of things that the Buffalo Sabres are smart and with the Leafs' help can, can do. Now, one of the things, I, quickly, I guess, uh, but, but it, how about uh, uh, in the release today, uh, Gary Bettman talking about the great fans in the Golden Horseshoe. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people aren't going to, it's going to leave it a very acidic taste in a lot of people's mouth. Uh, this may be the one outdoor game Gary Bettman does not attend. <laughs> we'll see. I think... I don't know. You know, it's funny because well, right during the, the Phoenix thing, he came to that game in Dundas. Yeah. Well, right? Dundas, so, you know, people in Dundas aren't quite as acerbic and, and, and steely as ooh. those in downtown Hamilton. <laughs> I, we'll I you know, I'd, I'd love to see him do it. You know, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I haven't seen him in a long time. I don't think you haven't seen him in a long time either. It'd be, uh, it'd be interesting. There's an interesting relationship between this town and Gary Bateman. Gary, there, it, we'll, we'll talk about that another day because we've got to run, but there, right. that is a good okay. word. Interesting. Steve Milton from the <laughs> Hamilton Spectator. Really appreciate Bye. it. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Reading something the other day, I wanted to get to this because I, I found this truly fascinating. I mean, I really found this amazing and it just speaks, I think, to how the world has changed under our feet not in that long a period, quite frankly. I was reading this um, this list online of the most anticipated TV shows for this fall season coming up. I mean, I know Survivor comes back after a year away and it starts next Wednesday. And there's other shows that you go, oh, wow, okay, pretty good. This is the list of the other shows that are the most anticipated. I'm not going to go through all the names. What I'm going to tell you is the channel they're on, the station they're on. See if you catch the pattern here. Hulu, Hulu, Apple TV Plus, Netflix, Disney Plus, ABC, Apple TV Plus, Netflix, NBC, Apple TV Plus, HBO, Netflix, HBO, HBO, Netflix, Apple TV Plus, Showtime, Apple TV Plus. If we can go on and on and on. You catch it? There's almost none of these that are on broadcast television. All of the big, new, exciting shows are all on streaming services now. Let me bring in Bill Briou. Uh, he is a great TV writer. He uh, he has done he's done this for a long, long time. Bill, you've been I don't know how long you've been at this, but I think you've probably covered every new TV series since probably the Ed Sullivan Show or something like that. <laughs> Maybe not that far back. When I but... started, Scott, it was me and Lucy and Jackie Gleason and a <laughs> bottle of scotch. That's all there was. That, that was a great preseason tour down in Hollywood when it was Lucy <laughs> and Jackie Gleason and that bottle of scotch. That would have been a day. That was it, was it was so long ago that we had black and white radios. <laughs> That's a good line. I'm sh- uh, I'll have to make sure I credit you with that one. Uh, it, look, I, I, I saw this list and it, it kind of, I mean, I know that we've been seeing 
lots of money go into the streaming services and everything else and them investing in shows. But this just to me, Bill, screams, if we didn't know it already, I guess, broadcast TV has lost the war. That's, that's my take. Yeah, like these big companies, media companies in Canada and the U.S. now, uh, you know, Rogers Bell and uh, Chorus, and uh, th- their investments extend to phones and satellites and, you know, their their businesses have changed and used to be, you know, the prime business was that network television, the broadcast network, and it's just not, it's just another one of their products, kind of, you know, like there's other things, and they're also, you know, Chorus, Canadians and the United States, Disney, which owns ABC. Well, all their focus is really on Disney Plus now, making that their big business plan. So uh, same with NBC has Peacock and CBS has Paramount. Um, and that's where all the energy and money and attention is. And that's where all the creative people are because they're bringing their ideas there because they don't have to worry about commercials every seven minutes. They don't have to worry about standards and practices. Um, they can just make independent films, really. They can let their imaginations run wild. And right now, this is where they're bringing their ideas. Once upon a time, I remember, you know, the, the big excitement with the cable channels was that you could say naughty words and maybe occasionally <laughs> show something that you couldn't show on broadcast TV. Is that still a thing, or have we moved way past that, and it's more about the, as you say, no commercials and just do whatever time you want? Or or is there still a titillation factor, and I don't just mean in a sexual way, that that freedom gives people that they want to do? Yeah, it's just literally a blank page. The rules are different, and, um, you know, if you're creating a series for um, a broadcaster now, um, the thinking, I think, is that you're you're playing to... Um, you know, not uh, just homes that basically don't have all these other new bells and whistles. So you end up with a lot of tired ideas, and, and a lot of it is uh, reality shows that don't cost as much, or they're they keep you know making carbon copies of the hits that are already there. So, for example, Dick Wolf, who you know made Law and Order and created different things. He has nine hours, or actually eight hours now, of network TV, an entire night of uh, Law and Order, an entire night of FBI, and um, the Chicago franchise, those three shows, Fire and PD and Med, they're all by the one guy. And he just, literally, you can start one at 8 o'clock and watch right through to 11, and often the actors on the different shows are jumping back and forth between Mm -hmm. them. So it's... It's a franchise that is sort of an efficient way to make a lot of content, um, and that's basically what uh, the networks are doing. You just pointed to, though, I think one of the huge ironies, and it's a it's a, a seismic shift in a sense. It was not that long ago, Bill, that people were leaving broadcast TV. You said about the bells and whistles. People have broadcast TV now. It's because they don't have all the bells and whistles. There was a time not long ago you were leaving broadcast TV because you didn't have the money. You didn't want to pay. You were cutting the cord to save money and you could find cheap stuff on streaming. Now to get all this stuff, you've got to subscribe to 17 streaming services. (laughs) If you don't have the money, now you go to the cable. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Um, It's, it's dizzying. I cover television. I cannot keep up. 
There are 500 new shows a year. Used to be this time of year, Scott, you know, be the fall preview issue of TV Guide. You'd pay an extra quarter. It would be twice as thick, and it would be all the new shows. It would be all literally this week in September would be the kickoff, and there would be all these glossy pictures of must-see shows from the 80s. If you remember that far back, some listeners, you know, and it would just be uh, an exciting time. And now there's a new show every day. Five, you know, 365 days a year, there is a new show starting, sometimes three or four. Every Friday, it seems Netflix has five new shows. Um, and it's just that that uh, idea of it's all starting in the fall is, is kind of watered down, although there still are some new shows that are this month. Is it? Can it come back? Like, does network TV have to do what other businesses have done when things seem to be changing and just say, look, we just have to rethink them, but we can't compete with this anymore. So what do we do that's entirely differently, entirely different, or is it over? I think what the, the way, the reason for this is that people now have discovered that they can watch what they want, when they want, any time that they want to do that. And they can watch an entire series on a weekend. They can binge everything at once, and then look for the next binge. And um, so I don't see that changing. With network television, you're kind of locked into coming back every week, Thursday at 8 o'clock or whatever it is, to to see the next episode. Um, some of the streamers, they go back to that schedule, you know, WandaVision on Disney. Uh, there are some shows that made you return every week. There are some that are on now that way, Nine Perfect Strangers, different shows that are on HBO, which also streams here on Crave. Um, and so, uh, but but it, it's not going to come back. And the reason for it is people love to just watch. When they sit down, they just dial it up and watch as much as they want on their schedule. Well, the one, yeah, and the one area I think that's still hanging in uh, and still working pretty well with TV, with we'll call it broadcast TV, um, if it's really niche, I mean, uh, like so many people that I talk to now tell me they watch HGTV, which I mean, maybe that's just speaking to my age bracket where now people are interested in those kind of shows. I don't know. Right. But so, I mean, you would have never thought that people watching people redesign homes or flip homes would have made people excited, <laughs> but it's such a niche thing and they've done it well. That one seems to be okay. There's others like it. It's It, it seems if you're way too broad, that's where the problem comes in. Yeah, and even, you know, the streaming services are getting into that arena, not just with, you know, homes, but baking shows. And, uh, you know, you've got now celebrities in the Selena's learning to cook. And, oh, Paris Hilton, she's going to try and turn on a blender. You know, like, (laughs) this is where it's gone to. So um, so, so I think, though, that the networks, their strength still is live. If something happens, you can't find it, you know, you can't see a response to an emergency on Netflix. You have to go back to a broadcaster. And uh, 9-11, we've all been through the last week of the 20th anniversary. That was one where everyone turned back to broadcast news to find out what was going on live. And so the big shows are the NFL has roared back uh, last week. It is just huge because it's live and people will sit through the Budweiser ads on a football game. We've all been trained to do it. Don't mind it, and uh, that still seems to work. And either live events, um, we've seen a dip in award shows, though, on networks, but we've got the Emmys coming up this weekend, and that's the big 
irony, Scott, is that if you're a broadcaster, why would you show the Emmys? Because it's literally now a three-hour infomercial for Netflix and Disney yeah. and Amazon. You know, it, it doesn't make any sense. And, and you know, you, you mentioned about live. Where this gets really complicated now is Amazon Prime, for example, now has NFL games on. So they're, yeah. they're, they're nudging their way into live. But my, as, as they're doing this, all I'm thinking is, so when they get to the point when now Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, whatever, now have live streams, have we not just tied the circle together and made them now the broadcast channels and we're right back where we started from? Yeah, in many ways, you're right. You know, I mean... Um... I think, as you mentioned, Survivor comes back Wednesday, and I bet it comes back huge. You know, this has been for 20 years uh, a top five show in Canada, even mm-hmm. a bigger success here than in the states. And uh, it has a very loyal audience, and people will return. But yeah, someday it'll be on a streaming service, maybe a Survivor channel. Um, you know, and and that's just the way it's all moving to. Well, and Bill, let me tell you, it was, and, and this is this is where things, this is where people get cranky because we in Canada, I wasn't even going to talk about this, but now that you bring it up, uh, Paramount Plus, so CBS has their app, their streaming service, and they brought it to Canada, and I heard from all kinds of people that you know Survivor was on there, and then all of a sudden one morning, Paramount Plus decided to lop off all the stuff that no, they no longer had deals for in Canada. There was like 12 things left on the app and people were on Twitter losing their minds about this. So, you know, that's, that's another thing is, you know, if you no longer have a general thing, if you're going somewhere very specific, boy, you better make sure that you give the people what they want in that very specific streaming thing, or they can be gone really, really fast. Yeah. A friend of mine is a big fan of SEAL Team, which um, was been on CBS for uh, four years and, and global, I believe. And uh, you're right, what CBS has decided is they're going to show the first four episodes this season on the network, and then it's all over on Paramount+. Plus. So, yeah, you know, you're angry now if you want to see that show, and now you have to subscribe to another service to see the rest of them. Um, and that's just, you know, that's just business, I guess. They're trying mm. to lure you over to this other thing that they make a lot of money from. There's one other thing, though, about that, that just blew me away. When I looked at this whole list of all these creative new shows that people are excited about, and they all, so many of them are on streaming services, and I thought, what are the broadcast networks, or the, again, not just broad, well, yeah, the regular TV people, what are they going to fight back with to win people back? And then I see some of the things, and it's a reboot of Doogie Howser, and a reboot of The Wonder Years, and the right. original CSI people coming now, they're calling it CSI Vegas to make it more flashy, but it's the original CSI people. Right. And it's like, where, where is the creativity? That seems to be one of the, the, the shortfalls here. Where are the creative ideas rehashing everything? I don't know that that works, at least not for long. Well, the thinking is that, um, you know, to cut through the clutter, you need to do it with familiar brands so that everyone's heard of the Wonder Years or, um, you know, that, that there's certain shows that resonate and you don't have to start from scratch to bring people to it. And that's why they're doing that. And, um, I mean, I've seen the pilot for the, the new Wonder Years. It's an African-American cast. It's still set in 1968, uh, but the family now live in Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, uh, Don Cheadle is the narrator. It, it's got a great cast, and, you know, it, it's interesting. It's going to, you know, people are going to be curious about it, I think. Um, but that's all it is. It's like if you come up with a brand-new idea, the chances of getting people to watch are really hard now because 
there's so much choice. But if you can wave a flag at them that they kind of have a whiff of already, uh, maybe they'll they'll come over, you know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know if just taking the Wonder Years and making it an African-American family, maybe that works. Maybe, maybe that finds an audience. I, I saw that there was a new Cinderella and instead of a female character in one place, it was a male character. Now there's the big twist. And it's like, okay, really, again, is that going to be, is that really going to work to draw me in? I don't know. I don't know. It seems like some sort of creative new thing that people haven't seen would do better. But uh, before we let you go, uh, one just, just on, on that note though, Scott, yeah. was a, one of my favorite quotes about television is that um, imitation is the sincerest form of television. <laughs> and uh, Fred <laughs> Allen great. said it. It was a radio wit who died like, you know, in 1958. You know, this is a, a joke he made um, 65 years ago. Yeah. And uh, yeah. it's about TV then. So it's sort of, we're still in that same place that uh, if if there's something familiar, people might watch it. Before I let you go, I want, you probably saw this story, but out of Johns Hopkins uh, School of Public Health in Baltimore, there's been a study done that finds that um, what your mother told you was true, that watching TV kills your brain cells. They have found that it in fact kills your brain to watch too much TV. Do you agree with this study or disagree? That's blasphemy, Scott. Who told you that? What the? Are you, are you trying to take food out of my mouth? What are you doing? And listen, Scott, while we're on it, that Rolling Stone article, I heard you set this up earlier, the 500 best yep. songs of all time. I've, I've gone through the list now. To me, that's like somebody walked in with all those titles in a box, and they tripped and spilled them all on the floor, and then they just put them back in the box. It's, it really looks like it's been thrown into a blender because... The titles don't, it's, it's so foreign to the list that I grew up with uh, that it, it really seems odd. Well, it's coming up next, and I'll say, like, there's a few of them in the top 10 that I would say might be in the top 10, but there's a few, and we'll get to which ones aren't uh, then, but there's a few that have, from, since, well, since the 60s maybe, have been universally accepted that this is one of those songs that changed music, or and now they're like number 30, number 40. It's like, really, we're trying too hard here, but... That's okay. Rolling Stone gets to call their shots, and we will um, we'll play along, and we'll see if people agree or disagree. In the meantime, Bill, I will not take food out of your mouth because people are going to go and read your stuff. <laughs> um, TV feeds my family. Briou TV, B-R-I-O-U-X dot TV. It's a great website. Everything to do with TV. So even if your brain is falling apart, you can fill it with this good stuff on Bill's channel. Bill, I really appreciate you doing this. Thanks so much. Oh, my pleasure, Scott. Anytime. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.